Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. If you got your Bibles this evening, we're going to the book of Luke, chapter 12. Starting from verse 30 to 34. If you're there, say amen. Bible reads. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide for yourselves bag which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no faith approacheth, neither moth corrupteth, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Praise the Lord. I want to speak to us with what the Lord has laid upon my heart from verse 34. If I could use these four words from this verse, where your treasure is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, for the privilege and honor it is, God, to be saved. Lord, to know your grace, your mercy, and your love towards us. The God, you are willing to give your life for us. Sometimes, Lord, we can take that for granted. But, Lord, we thank you once again as you continue to remind us that you're coming back for us, that our hope in you is not in vain. And I pray this morning, this evening, God, as your word goes forth, that it would encourage somebody, God, to continue to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus began to speak to the people in parables. He began with the story of the widow and the judge uh, to teach the people about fasting and pursuing steadfastly after God in prayer and that God won't be found lacking in answering our prayers. Then he went on to speak another parable that targeted a certain group of people. Luke 18 and 9 says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Uh, Jesus was trying to convey to these certain people that just because you do godly things does not indicate that you and God are close. And these people were full of themselves that even in their prayers were tainted with pride. Luke 18 and verse 10, Jesus says, Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed uh, thus with himself and God, I thank thee. He started to begin to pray, God, I thank thee that I am not as the other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I'm a good soul. I give tithes to all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not live in... He would not lift up so much of his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus went to say that, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalted himself shall be abased or made low, and he that humbles himself shall God exalt. Bible says that such were some of us, and we ought to be compassionate to other people, that we wouldn't allow pride to make us to think that we are better than the others just because we are saved. 
these people that Jesus was trying to reach were self-efficient. They had everything, everything was going for them. Uh, they loved ticking off the boxes we can see uh, in this parable or this example Jesus was given. They kept on keeping receipts of what they were doing and what they had done. It seems the religious side of their, of their lives was also part of the game of keeping the status quo. It was all about how they appeared to people than rather what was going on inside. It was all about the show, how good I am, how much of a Christian I am, how much of a God believer I am. And amongst the crowd, there was a certain rich young ruler that approached Jesus and asked, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Luke 18 and 18 says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And the young man replied, All these things I have done from my youth until now. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute them amongst the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Luke 18 and 24 says, And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for Carmel to go through the eye of the needle than for rich men to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for Carmel to enter into the eye of the needle than a rich man in heaven. What Jesus is expressing to us is that it is easier for a camel to detach or take off the weights that it's carrying in order to go through this door. Now, the eye of the needle was a small door that was on the gate uh, so that the people could use while the gate was closed. And that's what Jesus was referring to, and not your threading needle. <laughs> and in order for a camel to use that door, it required the camel to offload all the weights and all the loads that he had in order to enter in through that gate. For a time, the weight and the load that the camel was carrying was fine until it got to a checkpoint where that weight could no longer physically be possible to be carried through. If the weight was still attached to the body, it wouldn't go anywhere. It would get stuck. And so in order for the camel to do so, all that weight and all that load that he was carrying had to be taken off. And the principle that Jesus was drawing out to for us is that there comes a point in time in our lives where a certain weights or loads that may have been permissible for a season, that can no longer go with us beyond a checkpoint that God is bringing us to. The rich young ruler was able to live out his religious life and was still able to uh, create wealth for himself, or if he had inherited that wealth, he was able to maintain and increase that wealth, it seems. But Jesus was able to see that the riches he had uh, were so attached to him that they became a stumbling block for him to go beyond that checkpoint of following Jesus. What's interesting also when you look at the wording of the conversation, you'll notice that the phrase, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, what do I need to do to inherit the eternal life? Jesus replies to him, have you done X, Y, and Z? He's like, I've done everything. The young man said, I've done everything for my youth. I've kept the commandments. I've done this. I've done that. So it seems like he was just ticking off a box. I've done this. I've done that. And I've done this. 
And then Jesus says, well, you lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and follow me. And Jesus reassures him in, this, uh, in that verse in 24, of 23. He says, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And so giving up everything that he had, he wasn't losing it. But rather he was gaining something greater. And he missed what, that, what Jesus was saying to him. But instead, he looked at his circumstance. What do you mean, sell everything that I have? And that bothered him, and he went away sorrowful. At first, it seems harsh and outrageous for God to ask him to do that. I mean, imagine that was you. You worked hard. You've you know, created all this wealth for yourself, for your family. And all of a sudden, God says, give everything up. How would you respond? And so it was a hard thing for him to respond because that wealth, it seems, it was a part of him, a part of his life. And it was hard for him to give up that very thing. Sell everything that you have. When you study the Gospels and in the time in which Jesus came, you will notice that the people, especially the religious leaders of the time, had erred in the faith and that they treated God and his covenant lightly. That as long as they were ticking off the boxes, they were doing good. This ideal was growing amongst the people. It was all about the show and not about the relationship. And Jesus kept on calling these religious leaders hypocrites because they're not really living out that life, but rather they'll go in the marketplace and, and pray loud or they'll go to the temple and give a lot of money and all, all these coins so that they seem like they're very good in the sight of the people, that they were they're close with God. And in the Old Testament, if you study the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, it had a lot of physical things that the people were required to do as part of the covenant. And it seems the Israelites became complacent over time with their uh, religious duties. And what was intended to keep the Israelites separate from everyone else, and what was intended to be a platform on which to approach God and build a relationship with God, became distorted and twisted over time. And this ideal of ticking off boxes began, began to emerge amongst the people. And this approach did not please God in the very least. In Malachi, God was very displeased with the people, especially the priest. And he said, because the priest did not take the ministry very seriously. They lacked diligence and excellence in their sacrifices. They had no fear, no reverence for God. And it seemed that ticking off the boxes mattered more than excellent and quality. Pastor preached, upon, preached this last Sunday. That they were giving God uh, sacrifices of animals that would not meet according to the covenant. They were broken, they were sick, and they were lame. And they would bring that to sacrifice. But they knew that the, the sacrifice that was meant to be brought to God was out to be the utmost best. But they began to take their duties lightly. And in John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Why? Because there was no relationship. Only a remnant of people were able to recognize that Jesus was God. Jesus was sent from God. And it is still Jesus' intention since creation to have a personal and intimate relationship with his people. And in order for that relationship to be effective and prosperous, we must have God. We must give God, sorry, our all. The Shema says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. When asked, sell everything that you have. Jesus was saying, well, if you want to follow me, and if you want to go beyond this checkpoint, you have to make room for me in your heart. Everything must go in order for me to come in. Not only that, but the relationship and approach must need to change because God is not interested in doing and taking off the boxes, but rather he's interested in changing us that we may be more like him. And so we can do all these godly things. We can appear to be godly, but not have a relationship with God. Jesus already told us what will happen to those who continue to approach and treat him with, with treat the relationship with him based on merits, based on works. And James says, works alone are not good enough to get us to the finish line. We must need to have faith. We must need to have a genuine relationship with Jesus. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 20 says, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that, do, he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Men will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then Jesus will reply to those people, I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work in iniquity. That will be hard words to receive. I mean, you attended church, you gave your tithes, you prayed for people, you taught Bible studies, you did this, you did that. For God to say, I didn't know you this whole time. And so our relationship with God cannot just be based on works alone, but there has to be a genuine relationship with him. God was able to use a backslidden prophet. He was able to use a donkey. But none of them have their names written in the book of life. But we have to have a relationship with Jesus. Speaking about where your treasure is. Jesus is coming back soon. And it's very important that we have our eyes fixed on him. It's important that our hearts alone are filled with him. And that he is the center of everything that we do and are becoming. Jesus is coming back again. Oh, come on somebody. That ought to excite us that the Lord is coming back. That our God, our Savior is coming back for us soon. Oh, but we've heard it a million times. Over again and again. Jesus is coming back. But he is coming back. And we, yes, it can be weary in hearing the same thing, but God truly is coming back for his church. And this should excite us. This should move us. Because Jesus, our Savior, is coming back for his church. And it's high time that we stand ready and alert. It's not time to be complacent. It's not time to give in or give up no matter how hard life gets. It's not time to prioritize earthly treasures over our God. It's not the time to prioritize earthly treasures over our salvation. Your salvation is more important than anything in this entire world. As the song says, this world is not my home. I am just passing through. Earthly treasures will soon fade, but I have my hope in Jesus. This world can have it all, but give me Jesus. Because Jesus is coming back. 
you know, heaven's going to be a bit crazy on the first day. I don't know about you, but I'm sure it'll be nice to meet the apostles, the kings, prophets, and many other people that we may have on our list. But I imagine heaven on the first day being a bit more chaotic. Why? Because I strongly believe that everyone, and I mean everyone on that day, will be looking for those that God placed them in the body with. Because I know on that day I won't be looking for the apostles, but I'm going to be looking for these faces in this church, running around up and down heaven saying, Brother Gavin, we made it. Brother Matthew, we made it. Brother Thomas, we made it. Praise God. Brother David, we made it. Praise the Lord. Because that's the first faces that we're going to be looking for. It won't be John. It won't be the apostles. It won't be the kings. But it will be these faces in this room. And I believe the same very thing will be happening to those on that day. The apostle won't be looking for me. Apostle Paul won't be looking for Jonathan, but he's going to be looking for Timothy. He's going to be looking for Titus. He's going to be looking for those that the Lord had placed him in what that body at that time. God is coming back. Heaven and hell is real, whether we'd like to believe it or not. God is coming back. As we heard this morning's teaching, that the church is predestinated. There is a heaven and there is a hell. But where that destination where we end up to, it's up to us. It's up to us. God forbid that any of these faces that I see in this room will be missing on that great day. Jesus himself has purposely fitted us together. I could have been anywhere in any church on this part of the earth. But God brought me out of Africa. To Adelaide, from Adelaide to Perth, so that I can be part of this great body. There is an apostolic church where I come from. God could have saved me there. I could have been part of that body, but God took me halfway across the world and my family to plant me in this very church with this very people that I love so dearly. Jesus is coming back, church. Do not fall asleep. Don't miss out on that day. God is coming back. I know we've heard it a million times, but I come to tell somebody today, do not give up. Jesus is coming back soon than later. Soon than later. God is coming back for his church. God is coming back. Why don't we praise the Lord in this house today? Oh, praise you, Jesus. God, you are worthy, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for salvation today. Thank you, Lord, for the body in which you have pressed us in, Lord. We give you glory. We give you glory, Jesus. Hallelujah. In our opening text in Luke chapter 12, Jesus was speaking to the multitude and his disciples, warning them to distance themselves from the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In other words, don't be fake. Fake can be toxic. Stay away from those people. Don't follow those people. 
He goes on to tell them, have no fear. Don't fear people. Don't fear their judgment. But rather fear God and his judgment. You see, people can condemn us to death for believing. As it happened to many Christians, it's still happening today, where they're killed for their faith. Jesus says, don't fear that. Fear God. Fear God who has the ability to destroy you in this life and cast you into hell. Jesus goes on further to express that you and I are more precious than anything in this known world. More precious than anything in this existence. In the sight of God, we are more precious than the lilies of the valleys. That we are more precious than the sparrows. Everything we have need of, God will provide for us. For such is his duty as a loving father towards us. He goes on to tell us to focus on the thing, not to focus on the things of this world, but rather we should seek first the kingdom of God. And he will take care of the rest. The musician would come. Luke 12, 34 reading says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But let your loans be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. That when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the fifth would come, he would have watched and would have suffered and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Bible tells us, especially the last bit there, that if you knew a fifth was going to come to your house, you would prepare, wouldn't you? You would lock your doors, maybe have a weapon with you just in case it goes past that. You will be ready if you knew. But God has been sounding the bell for 2,000 years. I'm coming back to not give up on my promises, to not give up on the words that I have given you for a 1,000 years. The bell has been ringing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized in his name for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They'll give us the power to endure the trials of this life. 2,000 years God has been ringing the bell. Giving us the chance to get our acts together. Giving us the chance to get our house in order. Giving us the chance to be ready when he comes back. Because there will not be an excuse. I'm sorry to tell you, if that's harsh for you to receive, there will be no good excuse for you to tell God, why not? Why not me? Because God has given us his word. He has given us every warning. He has given us everything that we need for us to make it. We need to be ready. I know life can be hard. But we need to be ready. 
It will be in the hour when we think not. Oh, I'll just wait for Sunday to get my life together. I will wait for Wednesday night prayer to get my life together. Tomorrow is not promised to us. But today, today is all that we have to get ourselves right with him. Why don't you stand? This front of the church is open to give us the opportunity to approach God. If you know if there is weights in your life, if there are loads in your life that God has been dealing you with, it may not necessarily be sin, but something is hindering you to go further where God wants you to go. We need to make it right. We need to be able to give God the opportunity to give us the strength to let go of those things. Lord Jesus God, we come before you tonight.